Good morning, Fellowship Bible Church. Good morning to those of you down in Fellowship 3 watching this and those of you online. Thank you for joining us here this morning. Uh, as we go through this series, getting ready for the Christmas season, uh, such an enjoyable time of the year um, for my family, like maybe many of yours, it really starts to feel like Christmas when we have Follow the Star weekend. And uh, neat to see everybody out there serving and uh, ministering and sharing the gospel with our community. It's such a great time of year, uh, and we really always look forward to it. And so as we go through this series, as we prepare for Christmas, as you probably could already tell this morning, we're elevating and just really meditating on this idea of the humble king. Um, and, and we're looking through Bible passages where Jesus tells us in his own words, why did this humble king, why did he come? Uh, why did he come and be born in that manger that we celebrate this Christmas? And, and uh, so this morning we're going to look at another passage in the Gospel of John. So if you'd like to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John this morning. Uh, we're going to look in the passage in John chapter 10, but, but before we get to John 10, I want to set the context a little bit. So we're going to start in John chapter 8, um, because interestingly enough, from John chapter 8 verse 2 all the way through John chapter 10 verse 21, all happens in one day. It's actually the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and, and John records us for us a full day of, of Jesus' activities and what he does that day and what he teaches that day in these chapters. And it starts off in John chapter 8. We read the account of a, of a woman, and a, a woman that had been caught in adultery, that the Pharisees drag out into the public square before Jesus as he's in the temple teaching. And they, so they drag this woman out and they, uh, they ask Jesus what, what should be done with, with this woman. Should be, she be stoned? And, and what I want to emphasize for us this morning as we consider that is how the Pharisees were treating this woman. You know, so, so this woman who's apparently been caught in sin, are they ministering to this woman? Are they, are they seeking to shepherd this woman and help her deal with her, the heart issues that may be there before God? Um, or or are they, uh, could they care less about the woman and they're using her as an example and a public shaming kind of way to try to trap Jesus in some trick question? And the answer is obviously the latter. They don't care about this woman at all. They don't really even care about the sin. They're using this woman as, a, as, a, as this test to, to test Jesus. And if you look at uh, chapter 8, verse 7, how Jesus responds, you know, this genius response of Jesus, is, as they continue to ask them, Jesus stands up and says to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Um, the response of Jesus to, to bring the situation into clarity that we're talking about a sin issue here. And if we want to talk about a sin issue in this public kind of way that you are bringing her before it, then any of you that are without sin, you be the first to cast the stone. And the, the, the people slowly, the Jews slowly fade away one by one. And then Jesus continues teaching in the temple. And, and this it rests of chapter 8, and really, Jesus, this is a great chapter where Jesus is proclaiming himself to be God. And how do the Pharisees respond at the end of that? Look at verse 59 in John chapter 8. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Boy, they're trigger happy on this day, aren't they? 
They were ready to stone the woman. And now they're hearing Jesus' teaching. They're ready to stone him. Um, they, are, they are ready to, uh, just, uh, to, they're ready to get rid of somebody that day. And then we get into the later, this same day then, Jesus leaves the temple and he goes down towards the Pool of Siloam, more in southern Jerusalem in the city. And, uh, and Jesus passes by this blind man. And the disciples ask him, you know, why is this man blind? Is it uh, because of his parents' sin or because of his? See, even the disciples, they're focused on, all right, it's all about, it's these sin issues. There are bad people. We've got to put them down. And even God does that. God made this man blind as sort of a punishment for his family's sin. And Jesus says, no, it's, it's neither. It's so that the glory of God can be revealed in him. And so uh, Jesus proceeds to heal the man. He puts clay on his eyes. You remember the story. And he sends him to the wash his eyes in the pool of Siloam. And the man comes back seeing. And the people are amazed. The, the word is going out. All the people there in that southern Jerusalem are, are, are hearing about this and coming to see. And are, isn't this the man that was blind his whole life? And, and yeah, he is. And so the word is spreading. And the Pharisees are getting wind of this because the buzz is in the community. And, and remember, it's the Feast of Tabernacles, so lots of people are in even from out of town. There are crowds there. And so the buzz is going around that this man born blind has been healed. Wow, what an amazing thing. You know, if that had happened in our, in our congregation, how would we respond? Hopefully, we would, we would throw a party. We would have a feast. We would be sending cards saying, wow, praise God. Look at this miracle that has been done. What an amazing thing. You can see. This is wonderful. But watch this video, and let's see how the Pharisees respond once they call the man to question him. Then they took to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. The day that Jesus made the mud and cured him of his blindness was a Sabbath. The Pharisees then asked the man again how he had received his sight. He put some mud on my eyes. I washed my face, and now I can see. The man who did this cannot be from God. He does not obey the Sabbath law. How could a man who is a sinner perform such miracles as these? And there was division among them. You say he cured you of your blindness. Well, what do you say about him? He is a prophet. The Jewish authorities, however, were not willing to believe that he had been blind and could now see until they called his parents. Is this your son? You say that he was born blind. How is it then that he can now see? We know that he is our son, and we know that he was born blind. But we don't know how it is that he is now able to see, nor do we know who cured him of his blindness. Ask him. He is old enough, and he can answer for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities who had already agreed that anyone who said he believed that Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is old enough, ask him. A second time, they called back the man who had been born blind. Promise before God that he will tell the truth. 
We know that this man who cured you is a sinner. I do not know if he's a sinner or not. One thing I do know. I was blind. And now I see. What did he do to you? How did he cure you of your blindness? I have already told you and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Maybe you too would like to be his disciples. They insulted him and said, You are that fellow's disciple. But we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for that fellow, however, we do not even know where he comes from. What a strange thing that is. You do not know where he comes from, but he cured me of my blindness. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He does listen to people who respect him and do what he wants them to do. Since the beginning of the world, nobody has ever heard of anyone giving sight to a person born blind. Unless this man came from God, he would not be able to do a thing. You were born and brought up in sin. And you are trying to teach us. And they expelled him from the synagogue. So did they throw the blind man a party? Eh, not the kind of party you want to be invited to, right? Before the courtroom of the Pharisees to be grilled. And then ultimately, and as it says there at the end, he was excommunicated from the synagogue. He is cast out of the synagogue. Here is his reward for having been cured of blindness his whole life. They respond by casting him out of the synagogue. And did you notice, why did the parents, why were they so slow to answer? They feared the Jews. They feared the Pharisees. They feared the religious leaders. They, they stood in fear of the religious leaders of the day. See, these were the men that were to be the shepherds of Israel. They were to be the ones who were to be ministering to and feeding and guiding the sheep of Israel. But you know, they come from a lineage of bad shepherds. Back in the book of Ezekiel, listen to this passage in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34 says this, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. See, these were not shepherds. They were sheep herders, like the, the sheep dog that would nip at the heels of the sheep and chase them and, and drive them in the direction you want them to go through intimidation and fear and force. But they weren't shepherds. They weren't tending to the sick. They weren't seeking the lost. They weren't binding up the weak. You know, and we can look back in the Old Testament and we can say, what, a, what bad shepherds. But you know, this goes on in our day too. Uh, Barna Research did a study of people that avoid Christian churches. One out of, uh, more than one out of three, 37% 
of those surveyed, of people that avoid Christian churches, say it was because of uh, they've been hurt by the church or fellow Christians. Now, maybe a lot of those are saying that because they find the gospel offensive. There's probably a number of those that will answer that way. The gospel itself is what's offensive to them. Um, you know, there may be some of them. I was talking to a friend yesterday that has sheep, and, and uh, he says one of his sheep is just uh, an ornery, ornery sheep. Um, it just doesn't like people, and no matter how much he tends it and cares for it or tries to feed it or tries to entice it, this, uh, this ornery sheep that uh, he says his family nicknamed Psycho Sheep, um, it just doesn't like people. And uh, there are certainly sheep like that as well that may be amongst those numbers. Um, people that, are, that uh, maybe are just ornery, and they're going to find something wrong no matter what circle of people they are around. They are going to find something wrong, and they're going to be angry. Um, but one out of three people avoid the church because they've been hurt. A lot of those have truly, genuinely been hurt by bad shepherding. Um, abuse that happens in the church. Legalistic uh, um, oversight and, and forceful dom domineering over the sheep that hurts them and drives them out of the church Shepherds that would seek to, to nip at the heels and to force the, the sheep to go in a direction instead of a loving leader enticing the congregation to see or the sheep to see uh, the love of God. So a lot of those may be as genuine bad shepherding that has hurt them. And this has been going on for a long time and God prophesies against that in Ezekiel 34. He prophesies judgment against that bad shepherds. By the way, he also goes on in 34 to, to, to prophesy he's going to judge the bad sheep as well. There's going to, you know, it's not just the shepherds that judgment's coming for, but how sheep treat one another is going to be judged. So that sets the stage for us to look at our passage today in John. So turn to John chapter 10. Because we've seen the adulterous woman that morning in the temple. Later that afternoon, we've seen, the, uh, we've seen the blind man and how he has been treated by these bad shepherds. And so Jesus concludes his teaching for the day with this passage in John chapter 10. Let me read the first six verses. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus tells them this story after observing all that had gone on that day about, about what a real shepherd looks like. A shepherd leads his sheep. The sheep follow the shepherd. They don't come up over the fence. If, they, if you're coming in any other way, if you're driving or stealing or, or forcing the sheep, you are not a shepherd of the sheep. You are a thief. You are a robber, but you're not a shepherd. You know, the thief and the robber, they can get sheep to go where they want by snatching them, by driving them. The stranger can get the sheep to go where they want, but not by leading them. 
He can get them to go where they, he wants by force and by uh, intimidation, which is what the Pharisees had been doing. The shepherd leads and the sheep follow. So they don't understand this saying that Jesus is saying. So Jesus is going to now, he's going to flesh out two points that he, wants, uh, that he wants us to understand about this teaching, that he wants especially the Pharisees to hear as he's, they're the ones he's directly addressing, but for all of our benefit. He's going he's to take this story about the sheep and the sheepfold that he just told, and he's going to draw out two big important truths for us. So here's the first one as he explains this, this uh, story that he's telling about the sheepfold. Verse 7 through 9. Jesus therefore said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Now, I've taught on this passage a a number of times, but as I've prepared for it this time, just something different has grabbed me this time through it. I love when that happens in your study in Scripture. But I've usually taught this I am the door in the way that that Jesus says that he who enters shall be saved. Jesus is the only way into salvation. It is Jesus that we enter through to be saved, and he is the, the, the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, and certainly that Jesus is saying that. He says, he who enters shall be saved. But the part I really hadn't focused on before is Jesus says, you shall go in and out through this door. Um, it, so it's not just a salvation truth that's being taught. And notice another point, the focus is on the shepherds going through the door leading sheep. The focus isn't on, uh, it's not primarily an a, uh, evangelistic truth that, hey, Jesus is the only way to salvation. What he's saying is a shepherd leads sheep through the door and Jesus Christ is the door. This is the role of a shepherd, the proper and true role of a shepherd is to lead people to Christ, point people to Jesus, lead the sheep through Jesus, in through Jesus for salvation, out through Jesus to feed and to nourish and to, and to uh, establish and to tend the sheep. A shepherd's role is to point people to Jesus, to the gospel, to the grace, to the love of this humble king that came for them. And a shepherd leads the sheep through Jesus. See, the Pharisees were not doing that at all. The Pharisees were were condemning against Jesus, were casting people out because they proclaimed Jesus. People were in in fear of Jesus, or of the Pharisees. They wouldn't wouldn't follow the Pharisees. The Pharisees could make them do what they want out of fear and intimidation. They didn't see God and his love and his character and his nature because of following the Pharisees. That is the job of true shepherds, to lead people to Christ, to bring them in and out through Christ, to feed in the pastures, to tend and to keep the sheepfold of God. See, that is the the focus that Jesus is, is emphasizing by saying He is the door. 
and the shepherds lead the sheep through the door. Any other way that a shepherd would come, any other way that we teach something that is not the grace of Jesus Christ, if he is not preeminent in everything that a shepherd says and does, we become a thief and a robber. We are destroying the sheep of God, the very thing that he was prophesying against in Ezekiel 34 and the judgment that would come because of that. See, if we're a pastor, if we're an elder, if you're a community group leader, if you're a teacher, if you're a ministry leader, if you're a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, an older sibling, all of us as Christians, we have shepherding roles to do in the lives of others. And Jesus wants us to understand what our job description is as a shepherd, is to lead, lovingly lead people to Christ, bringing them to Jesus, bringing them out to pasture, feeding them on the nourishment of the Word of God, bringing them in at night for protection and tending and keeping, bringing them to salvation. So whatever role you have as a shepherd in the lives of others, understand that is your job description. That is my job description. That is our job description. Anything else we seek to do in the lives of others, we become a thief and a robber. And so we need to be on guard. These are the very sheep of God. It is God's sheepfold, not ours, that we are tending and keeping. And so we must be on guard. See, the Pharisees hadn't done this. The Pharisees were destroying people, dragging the adulterous woman out to shame her just for the sake of making a point with Jesus, bringing the, the family of the blind man in who's standing in fear of them and afraid to say anything because they'll be cast out of the synagogue and sure enough being cast out of the synagogue. Jesus then gets to, here's our primary verse today, John 10 verse 10. See, Jesus says why he came. Why did Jesus come to be born in this manger? John 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. See, Jesus came to fix the problem of this bad shepherding that had been destroying people, putting them in bondage, not teaching them who God is. Jesus came instead to give them life, to give the sheep life and to give it to them abundantly with no reservation, no limit, to give them uh, the life that they so desired and needed to bring them out of death and life. This is why he came. And that stands in contrast with the bad shepherds who, had, who destroy people, who kill them, who steal them. Jesus comes to do the very opposite, to give them life and to give it to them in abundance. See, verse uh, 11, Jesus goes on to make his second point from this passage. And he changes the, the word picture a little bit. With, this, with this, these words, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, this is where we get, this is the mind-blowing part for me, verse 11. 
Because how is it, Jesus? All right, you came to give life and to give it abundantly. And these, any other way that the shepherds are leading is killing and destroying the sheep. They become thieves and robbers. How is it, Jesus, that you are going to do this differently? How is it that you're going to give life and give it abundantly? And he says, here is the great irony. The shepherd, as the ornament, uh, today's ornament is, the shepherd, the good shepherd that Jesus is, that God is, Jesus comes, he is this good shepherd, and he is the lamb of God. See, he becomes the lamb of God, and he undergoes the bad shepherding of these Pharisees. See, they had tried to stone him at the end of John chapter 8. And ultimately, they take him to the cross, and he is, the, he is willingly put in this situation by his father as a, as, a, as a payment for our sins. He comes and he submits himself to the hatred and to the, the, the bad shepherding of this world, to the fallenness of this world, and he humbles himself to that baby in the manger. The king of the universe becomes the baby in the manger. The great shepherd of the world becomes the the baby lamb that is to be slain for the sin of mankind. And he lays his life down willingly. See, this is what makes him the good shepherd. See, not only does he, he's not seeking to clothe himself and, and to build himself up like the bad shepherds were. He is seeking to heal the sick. He is seeking to heal the blind, to bind up the the law, to seek the lost, to call back those that are straying by laying down his own life as the payment for sin and and becoming the good shepherd at the same time, the good shepherd and the lamb as he seeks to pull his, uh, his sheep into himself and to give them abundant life through his own sacrificial death. The great irony of what Jesus does, instead of abusing the sheep, he willingly dies for them. The creator of the universe humbles himself to a baby in the manger. Then this great shepherd becomes the lamb of God to be slain. See, this is Christmas. That humble king in a manger that came to shepherd our very souls by being the Lamb of God. See, this had been prophesied back in that same chapter of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34, he says this. Later in that chapter, verse 15 and 16, he says this, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. See, the the great shepherd of the universe comes and takes on flesh, humbling himself to be the lamb that is slain. And he is the good shepherd of our souls that has come to seek the lost, to bind up the weak, to heal the sick. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, he prophet, was an, as another prophecy about Jesus. It says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. The tender, caring, compassionate love 
of the good shepherd Jesus Christ who became the lamb to be slain. See, the very beginning of the Gospel of John, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John 10, Jesus is saying, I, I am doing that. I came to become the Lamb, to be slain for the sin of mankind so that I can give you life in abundance, without limits to take you and hold you in my bosom, to care for you, to bind you up, to love you as the good shepherd. So in conclusion, I, I want to just emphasize these two points that Jesus made and just make these our two concluding thoughts as we consider the humble king this Christmas season. And the first one is, you know, I think probably most of us at one point in our lives have experienced a bad shepherd. You know, there may be some of you in here that has been hurt by a church, by a Christian, uh, by somebody in a position that should have been shepherding your soul, a parent. You know, that, that is common to the state of fallen, the fallen world we live in, bad shepherding. And so if that's you and me, what Jesus wants us to know is that he is the good shepherd. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to tend your soul and to hold you in his bosom. He became the lamb of God. He went through the worst of the worst bad shepherding you can experience by being crucified on a cross so that he can offer you life in abundance. That is this good shepherd that we serve. He loves you. He wants you to put your faith in him. And he gives you his life abundantly. See, go back to John chapter 9. John chapter 9 verse 35 says this. Listen to how Jesus responds to the blind man. This is right after he'd been cast out of the synagogue. Jesus goes back to this blind man. In verse 35, Jesus had heard that they put him out. And finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said to him, And who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. See, this is the good shepherd. Regardless of where, what bad experiences you have had in, in a church, what bad experience you have had maybe at the hands of even a Christian, or a parent, or a grandparent, or an aunt, or an uncle, or somebody that should have been shepherding you. Jesus seeks you out, and he says, I know you've been shepherded badly. I am the good shepherd. I've laid my life down for you. I love you. Believe in me. And I give you life, and I give it to you abundantly. And you can have the same experience as this blind man, and worship this humble king that loves you like that. The second point for us to remember is that all of us as Christians, you know, especially elders, pastors, leaders, ministry leaders, but all of us as parents, as grandparents, as an older sibling to a younger sibling, we have a shepherding role to do. 
And we are shepherding the very flock of God that Jesus shed his blood for. And we can't take that lightly. We love the sheep. We tend them. (coughs) Our job description is to bring them to Christ, to lead them to Christ, to show them the gospel, to teach them God's word, to to display who this Jesus is to the people that we shepherd, that we have influence over. See, there's another Old Testament prophecy back in Jeremiah chapter 3. It says this, God says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. See, God had prophesied that he was going to bring shepherds that would shepherd well. And so we all as believers have the Holy Spirit within us and we can shepherd others with, and feed them and with knowledge and understanding in through the door and out through the door, Jesus Christ. And so we know our job description and we seek to shepherd well. I want to close in John chapter 21. If you flip just a few chapters later here towards the, to the last chapter of the book. John chapter 21, verse 15. This is after the resurrection. Jesus has gone back up into Galilee to seek out the uh, disciples who had gone back to fishing, and he, he sits and eats breakfast with them there on the shores of Galilee. Verse 15, he says, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. See, that is our calls, brothers and sisters. This is our call, Fellowship Bible Church, to feed, to shepherd to tend the sheep of God in through the door, out through the door. Let me close with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, our Good Shepherd, we thank You for being the humble King. We thank You for being the Shepherd who is the Lamb, slain on our behalf. That You offer us life in abundance by simple faith that you tend our souls and you heal our weaknesses. You pick us up and carry us in your bosom. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen.